It's uh, now our privilege to hear God speak his word from Paul's letter to the Galatians from the fourth chapter, verses four through seven. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'd like you guys to do something that's going to seem kind of weird for this time of the year, probably. I want you to think about the last time you went shopping for a mattress. It's kind of a big deal, you know. When Luann and I first got married, we slept on one of those old water beds of the old days. That's probably why our bones are like they are today. A few years later, the mattress on our bed was one of the first major purchases we made together. I remember the salesperson convinced us to pay way more than we were expecting to pay with one simple line. Well, if you think about the fact that you're supposed to get eight hours of sleep a day, then you're going to spend one-third of your life in bed. So it's worth the investment. Well, that made sense to me. So we did. We bought the best mattress we could afford, maybe even a little more than what we could afford. And since you're supposed to replace your mattress every eight to 10 years, and we had been mar- have been married for 34 years now, that means we've actually gone through this three or four times. And every time we research and comparison shop and ask for advice because we want the perfect night's sleep, we've found that as we've gotten older, that eight hours of sleep is harder and harder to come by. Be honest. How many of you have trouble sleeping at night? How many of you rolled your eyes when I talked about getting eight hours of sleep a night? Did you know that if you Googled the phrase, the perfect mattress, you get around 204 million results? And did you know that in 2019 study, people spent almost $79 billion on things that they hoped would help them sleep better? From medication to CPAP machines to white noise generators to sleep hypnosis, all of those things. And that in 2030, that figure is expected to be double that. 
a good night's sleep can be hard to come by. Maybe that's why the song Silent Night is constantly one of the most popular Christmas carols. It's that one line, sleep in heavenly peace, that gets us. But have you ever thought about that song? It sounds like a lullaby. So are we singing the lullaby to baby Jesus, hoping that he sleeps in heavenly peace, hoping that he won't wake up with the, when the cattle are lowing and the little drummer boy drums away? If so, that's kind of presumptuous, don't you think? Who are we to tell the king of kings to sleep in heavenly peace? After all, we are the ones who need sleep. It isn't the creator of the universe that needs to be sung to sleep. Psalm 121 says that he, God we're speaking about, who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And even when God came to earth as a human being in the person of Jesus, he apparently never had a hard time going to sleep. One time he fell asleep in the bottom of a boat in the middle of a furious storm. Think about that the next time we have tornado warnings and strong storms all night long around here. No. Silent Night is not about Mary and Joseph singing a lullaby to the baby Jesus. Silent Night is about how, because of Jesus, we can sleep in heavenly peace. The scripture passage for today tells the story of two people who were hoping for some heavenly peace. We are going to look at the story of Simeon and Anna, two precious senior adults who had spent their entire lives waiting for God's heavenly peace. Their stories are in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. As we look at their story, I'd like to look for the like you to look for the answers to three questions. What are they looking for? Where were they looking for it? And what did they do once they found it? Now, maybe you've come to church this morning with some of the same questions in your life. With the new year dawning, we still probably do have a lot of questions. What are you looking for? Maybe you are looking for some peace or joy or love and you're already desperately hoping that it's going to last longer than just the Christmas season. Where have you been looking for it? How have you been searching? And if you found it, 
what do you do about it? Turn to your Bibles, if you would, with me, to Luke chapter 2, 22 through 40. I believe that's page 857 in your pew Bibles. And here we go. Let's read the story. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's, Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation and you have prepared in the presence of all that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother behold this child is appointed for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenol, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let us pray. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit open our hearts and our minds to hear and understand your word this morning. I also ask that you guide my teaching, that it be accurate and pleasing to you. Amen. What I just read took place 40 days after Jesus was born. We know this because according to Leviticus 12, a woman was considered ritually unclean for 40 days after giving birth to a male child. Why it makes a difference if it's male or female, I don't know. But 
But at the end of the 40 days, a Jewish mother and father would come, up, come to the temple together to make the purification offering for the mother as well as the redemption offering for the firstborn son. So that's what Mary and Joseph were doing. We know that from Leviticus 12 that the customary offering for a firstborn son was a lamb. But if a couple couldn't afford a lamb, they could substitute two turtle doves. So we know that Mary and Joseph were on the poor side because this is what they brought. Mary and Joseph came to the temple that day, but Simeon and Anna came to the temple every day. What were they looking for? Verse 25 says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation is the Greek word parakletos, which means comfort or solace. That's a nice thought, isn't it? We all like to be comfortable. At the end of a day, I love to come inside change into my comfy clothes, and have a nice home-cooked meal. When there's nothing else to do, Luann and I will sit in our comfy recliners and watch Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) Yep, that's what we do. If it's cold outside, Luann likes to wrap herself up in a big comforter, and sometimes we even have a fire going in the fireplace. So Simeon and generations before were waiting for the day when Israel would be counseled or comforted. They knew the words from the prophet Isaiah, who said, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Now let's skip down to Anna's story. Luke tells us that Anna was a prophetess who had married young and was widowed young. Translations differ. She was either 84 years old or had been widowed for 84 years, meaning that she could have been around 100 by this time. But either way, she was one of many people who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What does that mean? The word redemption refers to ransoming or delivering from bondage. In Jesus' day, Israel was suffering under Roman rule. Their hope was that there would be a Messiah that would pay the redemption price to set them free from Roman rule. Do you remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? Before they recognized Jesus as Jesus, they said, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Let's stop right there for a moment. Simeon is looking for consolation. 
Anna is looking for redemption. Doesn't that describe what a lot of people are looking for today? We're looking for comfort. We want to feel better. And many people are looking for redemption. Deliverance from something that has, seen, has them in bondage. Could be getting out from under financial debt, or freedom from an addiction, or just a second chance. A way to make up for a mistake in their past. So now, let's look at our second question that I asked you to think about. Where were Simeon and Anna looking for it? The answer is simple, verse 27. Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. Verse 37, Anna did not depart from the temple. All right, I'm not saying that all you need to do is come to church. And it's going to be all right and solve all your problems. No church is perfect, although we like to think so. You may have had a bad experience with the church. You might have gotten burned out on religion at some time in your life. Believe me, I get that because it happened to me. But please understand one thing, and it's an important thing. You will not find God's peace apart from God's presence. And if you have been looking for peace or hoping in any other way, you're not going to find it. Think about it this way. Anna went to the temple every single day for 84 years before she met Jesus. If there's ever anyone in history who has the right to say, you know what, I tried, church. It's Anna. So maybe you've tried church in the past and you didn't find what you were looking for. Did you keep trying for 84 years? Then maybe you gave up too soon. Because you will not find God's peace apart from God's presence. All right, here's the last question. What did Simeon and Anna do when they found what they were looking for? Verse 28 tells us, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms. He came to Mary and Joseph. He must have said to them, can I hold him? And maybe she was a little uncertain like most first-time moms would be. But Mary gave her newborn baby to Simeon. And Simeon began the became the first person to literally receive Jesus. Verse 38. Anna gave thanks to God and spoke of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Doesn't say she talked about a philosophy or a new diet plan or a new purchase. 
it says she talked about Jesus. Here's what I need you to understand about both comfort and redemption. In the New Testament, these words are not primarily associated with feelings. They're associated with a person. Remember that Greek word for consolation or comfort? Paraclesis. I want you to check out with me here how Jesus used that word with his disciples. On the night before he was crucified, he didn't promise them comfort or paraclesis. He promised them a comfort or paracletos. One who is called alongside. An advocate. A comforter. It's the word Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit in John 14 and 15. Translated in a lot of different Bibles as advocate, helper, counselor, comforter. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. It's John 14, 16. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. John 14, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That was John 15, 26. It's the same with Anna. Anna was looking for redemption, but what she saw in the temple that day was the Redeemer. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1, 7. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You know, this is the good news of the gospel. Not that we are going to feel better, but that we have someone called alongside us to comfort, help, speak for us, counsel us. This is what's different about Christianity. Unlike other religions which seek to give us rules to follow or principles to live by, Christianity gives us a person to follow rather than give us a set of principles to walk by. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to walk with us. Friends, we see the gospel in this so clearly. You aren't going to find the peace you are looking for in any religion. It's not about seeking comfort. It's about being sought 
and found by the comforter. It's not about paying the price for your redemption. It's about the one who paid the price for your redemption. Not redemption, but but redeemer. Not rules, but relationships. Is Jesus your Prince of Peace? Early this year, Queen Elizabeth died, and her son Charles became King of England. Now, I know there are some people that are just absolutely obsessed with the royal family. And if that's you, then I may be about to hurt your feelings. But I want to go out on a limb and ask you a question. How many of you actually care about who the King of England is? Hmm. Why not? Hmm. Is it because you're not English? See, intellectually, you can accept that Charles is king. You can know it in your head. And maybe you are that Anglophile who knows all about William and Kate and Harry and Meghan and Prince Grace and Prince Philip and Buckingham Palace and on and on and on. You might know all sorts of facts about the King of England, but it doesn't change the fact that he isn't your king. You aren't English. You aren't a British subject. The King of England has no authority over you or your life. By the same token, you don't have any of the benefits or privileges a British citizen has. Charles might be the king, but he isn't your king. In the same way, you can acknowledge that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and still not experience the benefits and the privileges of being a citizen of his kingdom. You can spend your life pursuing the things you hope will bring you peace and never sleep in heavenly peace. Why? Because even though Jesus is the Prince of Peace, you haven't made him your Prince of Peace.